mountain wide. All the believers say glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Give my praises to you, Lord. Give my praises to you. Sing glory, glory, glory. You're the reason. You're the reason why. You're the reason why I sing, yeah. You're the light in the darkness, Lord. Lord, you're why we are all here, Lord. You're the reason why I sing. songwriter asked the question, when we lift our hands to Jesus, what does it really mean? What, what, does it, what does it really mean when you lift your hand? In the Bible, and if it's not in the Bible, you shouldn't be doing it. If you don't understand what it is, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. You certainly shouldn't be doing it just because you see everybody else doing it because they might not know why they're doing it either. But in the Bible, lifting hands, as far back as Exodus in Scripture, was in fact a sign of surrender. Surrender. But in the Old Testament, it was common for Jewish people to raise their hands in prayer. In other words, I'm submitting to you. Oh, divine one, help me, God, in this place. And so with raising your hand, what you're saying is, send it on down, Lord. Help me right now. Whatever it is you can bless me with, please do so. And understand that you ought to mean that when you do it. Don't just raise your hand if you're not ready to receive what God is going to bless you with. Because what he will bless you with might be discipline. Wow. You know, we always think it's going to be something, and discipline can be favorable, but be careful what you pray for, because you just might get it. You just might get it, and it may not come form that you want it. So it's okay. There's some churches that do it as a matter of custom when they pray or when they, they stand and they lift as we say, lift holy hands in scripture. In scripture, there's an admonition for us to lift holy hands. Praise the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. And may the God, may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is maker of heaven and earth. That's Psalm 114. So it's in scripture. But do this. That's why we keep talking about life groups. That's why we keep talking about studying. Know what you're doing when you celebrate in the Lord. It's not restricted to one denomination or another denomination. And, and just because you didn't grow up doing it didn't mean it was wrong. It just means that you, your church didn't do that. Your leadership didn't know to do that. That doesn't mean it's wrong. We've been in a Bible study uh, in a series called I'm In. I'm in. In other words, I understand my worth in the body of Christ. I understand that I've been invited to be a part of the body of Christ. I know that. I know that I'm invited to be a part of God's family. That's for anyone. Not only have I been invited to be a part of God's family, I understand that I'm invaluable when it comes to being in God's family. God's family is not complete without what I have to contribute. I want to say that again. The work that we do in God's family, in the house of God, in the ministry of the church, is not complete if I am not included, including my piece in it. And so if you're not working, if you're not witnessing, if you're not walking it out, then the body of Christ is not functioning at 100%. There's something you ought to be doing. You cannot simply be a receiver 
and be actively in the body of Christ. You, if you're a disciple of Christ, you have to be giving and discipling. All right, which means, because it's sheep that make other sheep. All right, so if you're a follower of Christ, you are invited. If you're not one, you're invited. Step one, welcome. Welcome, not just to this house, but to God's family, more importantly. And then you're invaluable. Can't do it without you. Can't do it without you. No unnecessary parts. Anybody like me ever had an item you, you purchased, had to put it together, when you finished, it was pieces left? Yeah. Now, I'm not talking about the one or two extra screws they put in there. Sometimes they do that, so don't get that twisted. Sometimes it's like an arm or something, you know, and you're trying to convince yourself, yeah. You're trying to convince yourself, it look all right. It look, it look all right to me. Um, and whoever it is that's supervising you, my supervisor right here, yeah, is telling me, it, now, what she really said to me is, you need to call Uncle Robert. <laughs> That's what, cause my Uncle Robert is the fixer in the family, so he can put anything together. Yeah, and so you know that don't do nothing but make me mad when she say that. Well, Uncle Robert ain't got to fix everything. He ain't the only one with sense in this family. We can, we can fix stuff, but it don't ever work right. Yeah, it's funny. It's true. It's true. But that ain't how church supposed to be. God put each one of us in place for something. And it doesn't matter. Can I, can I take some burden off you? It doesn't matter how long you've been actively involved, involved in and around the church. If you still haven't found the place, then you ought to be asking God actively, Lord, please show me what you would have me to do. And maybe it's that you're focused on the wrong place of your ministry. Maybe you keep saying to the Lord, show me what you would have me to do in or at church. All right? And can I tell you, not every one of us can function in the house. Some of us function outside the house, but we're acting and operating in our ministry. Okay? Some of us are the ones, when they get in the house, we help wash their faces and get them cleaned up and get them ready to go out back into the world. But others of us are out in the world shooing people into the house. That, that, that's how it works. And we, we talk to them about how good God has been for them. We are walking witnessing testimony to people. And what we do when we invite them, you ought to be encouraging folk. If you got a real good friend in your life who's not in church and you've never invited them to your church, why? Why? How can they be your good friend? and be outside the ark of safety? How can you love them? Because nobody I love do I want to not be in heaven, in glory. And all you got to do is say, hey, you, it doesn't even have to be hard. Hey, man, we having family and friends today. Why don't you just come to church with me? And they may say no. They may say no five years in a row. But you keep asking them, hey, man, we having family and friends today again. You're always invited. Open invitation for you. And it may be on the 10th time that you ask them that they finally get it together and come on in. That's okay. Can I tell you? That's a victory. That's a victory because all you want to do is make sure they understand it's serious to you. And they may just say yes so you'll stop asking them. That's okay too. Because there is no perfect disciple. How many sermons did you hear? before you decided this was okay for me. How many of us weren't made to come up and join the church by our grandmama in revival? You gonna go up there this evening. I don't want to. Not because you didn't want to go, because you were scared of getting baptized. That's what it really was. That's, seriously, I mean, you, you understood. I ain't dealing with that. How many of us came up here and still didn't believe? Didn't know if we believed anyway. Me? me. I came, I joined the church. Yeah, I joined the church. I have been in the church. I have been actively in the church. 
in everything, still didn't know what I believe. Still didn't know, can I be honest? If, okay. if I believe. And so today we want to talk about the importance of people doing what I just said. All right, we talked about I'm invested. We talked about I'm invaluable. I hope you see where we're going. Today we're going to talk about I'm influential. I'm influential. By show of hands, how many already in? I'm in. If you are, if you are. Oh, okay. Okay, I'm in. I'm in. I'm invested too. Here we go. Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have your Bible with you, it's going to be included. I'm taking this jacket off because I'm going to sweat through it. I know I am. Yeah. Man, thank you. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read 13 through 16. And then there's another passage of scripture that's going to be our foundational scripture for our stories. It's a wonderful Bible story today. You love this story. Guess what God said? God said in Matthew, he's, Jesus um, inspired these words. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You. You are the salt of the earth. Not only that, you are the light of the world. And a town built on a hill cannot be hid. Cannot be hid. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, you ought to let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. If I ask you this question, what is an influencer? What is an influencer. And I came to tell you today that we have allowed this current culture to denigrate the definition of influencer. All right? Today, an influencer is determined by the number of followers you have okay. online. How many people follow you on your social media pages? You know, if you got 150,000 people who follow you on your social media page, by definition of today's standards, you are an influencer. And what makes you an influencer? Well, the definition is an individual who has the power to affect purchase decisions of others because of their authority, knowledge, or relationship with their audience. In other words, advertisers say you're an influencer if you can bring more people to them to get their product or expose their product to more people. That's the definition of an influencer. And so guess what all the young folk are going to be now? Influencers. They don't understand. Influencers, but they, they don't understand that in one day, you can have a million followers and you can say the wrong thing and the next day you have zero people wanting to follow you. It's happening, they, they'll cancel you really, really quickly. But that's never supposed to have been the definition of an influencer and it's really not the definition of a true influencer. When I was growing up, you know, the definition of an influencer in Audrey was a coach, a teacher. Yeah, preacher. Why? Because influencer, the definition was determined by the number of lives and people you impacted on a regular basis. These were the people who influenced Cass, our lives. And I bet without even asking you to come up with a list right now, you can come up with a list of those who were influencers in your life. Right now, somebody immediately comes to mind because they help you. They help you. In fact, it's so great 
that that person may just be the single most significant person in your life and nobody ever heard of them because they were significant to you, to you. And so I can't ask a question today. Are you an influencer? Do you even strive to be one? And let me go ahead and take, let the air out of the balloon on that. You don't have to be important by the world's definition to be an influencer. See, see, the problem is the current view of influencers starts with a platform. That's the problem. And, and people think, well, I don't have any platform. And because I don't have a platform, nobody is going to listen to me or come to me. And I came to tell you this, that the true definition of lasting influence, watch this now, always starts with people and not platforms. Okay? So you don't have to be in position first to influence someone. You just have to care about people. And if you care about people, then you too, my friend, are probably already, may not even know it, may not have the t-shirt or call yourself that, you're probably already an influencer. Who helped me become a minister? Who? Who, who helped me become a minister? How do you break it all the way down and go to the micro level? of determining how I became a minister. You've heard me in this pulpit now going on almost 20 years talk about some names that recur. Reverend Clyde Beverly, he was the pastor, all right? Reverend Croom, he wasn't really my pastor long, not long enough to have influenced me like that, but he was pastor of the church and a family friend. I consider him still an influence in my life and a friend. Uh, I can name any number of people at First Missionary Baptist Church East Ball who made a difference in my life. In fact, in fact, can I be honest with you? My heart is tugged. I'm saddened sometime now when I go back to my home church because when I look around the sanctuary, I don't see people that I knew there. And so it doesn't look like the same place or feel like the same place to me. I know people in this congregation say the same thing, all right, because things have changed. But what names have you never heard that were significant to me? You may have never heard me talk about Carolyn Holman. Not in this way. You know, she's my mama's youngest sister. But Carolyn Holman was perhaps the single most influencer in my life when it came to being a minister. Single most influencer. Carolyn Holman was about 15 years old when I was born. She was a teenager. My mama's youngest sister. My mama comes home with this baby. And guess who in the house is going to take charge of the baby when he comes in? Aunt Carolyn. Aunt Carolyn taught me how to talk. Aunt Carolyn was the one at church who always had me dragging around. It's Aunt Carolyn. Aunt Carolyn was the one, whenever we had the programs that came every year, Christmas, Easter, Aunt Carolyn was the one who made sure that I was the one who said, Donnell's going to be the MC when I got old enough to talk. Okay, Aunt Carolyn, is what I would say. And she'd, get, she'd stand up there and say this. She's the one who used to teach me my speeches. Well, not that my mama didn't do it, but and so it was, it was just the thing that every program, me and Tina Pullum, <laughs> were the MCs of all the programs at First Baptist. And if I didn't do anything else at that church, I didn't have no fear of standing up in front of folks. Why? Because I ain't caring. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I talk for a living. I'm, I, I don't apologize for that. All right. Talking been good for me. <laughs> All right. Talking been good for me. Yeah. My my secular profession is talking. Yeah. Been alright for me and all because Aunt Carolyn 
helped me learn early on to stand up in front of people and talk. She'd say, stand up there, say it. <laughs> and I just look at her and say what I had to say. It didn't matter what anybody else was saying in the congregation. And that's why I tell you how important it is to get your children used to standing up in front of people, comfortable in public places, speaking, because the time is going to come when you're not going to be there. And they're going to have to stand up and acquit themselves, prove themselves. Might not be much that they have to say, but they're going to have to speak for themselves. And it's going to be very important. Aunt Carolyn, she was an influencer. You would have never put her on my list other than to say, you know, you had a good family. I'm came, I came to tell you today, she was that significant. And guess what? She still does support whenever she can. It's not unusual to see her come and sit in this sanctuary right here, right now. And I get emotional because the same way she used to look at me when I was a kid. She looks at me the same, the same exact way now. Here she is, 70-something years old. And she still looks at me like I'm little Donnell. That she's talking. God's good about that. But she reminds me so much of my mama. That's a blessing. But there's another person you probably have never heard of. You may have heard the name here in this period of time. But you don't know his significance in my life. When I was in high school, I was at West End. I didn't have any family there. I was, you know, a student there. I didn't have just friends, friends. And so because you don't have cousins or brothers or anybody, you quickly got to get you a, you know, a gang that you can hang out with. And my gang consisted of most of the folks on my street, on the street that I lived on in the blocks. But one of the things that was started there at the school was a Bible study. A Bible study. The name of the Bible study was The Way. The Way. And the Bible study met at like 7.30 in the morning before classes started. And they used to give us these little pamphlets with Bible stories in it. And there was a guy in there who I really, really respected who come in. And I liked him because he was, he was, by definition at West End, he was somebody. Yeah, he was. His daddy was a football coach. He played football. He was a big old dude. I was a little old bitty munchkin. I really was. And he, he was cool. He was cool. When I met him, he'd always have a quick conversation and say, what's up, man? How you doing? His name was Vince Pettis. And Vince was a believer. And he wasn't ashamed of it. And he made me comfortable talking about my faith in a public setting like the way. It just so happened that Vince and I both ended up at Tuskegee. And so when I first got to Tuskegee, the day I got there, after my folks dropped me off, Vince gave me a personal tour of Tuskegee. Because <laughs> he had already been there on the football team because he was there on scholarship. And I came in second semester of Tuskegee. Vince was always leading the way for me always making me comfortable in my spaces. And so Vince has gone to glory. Now the Lord called him home a couple of years ago. But Vince was such an influence in my life. He was my friend. And he and I had a good relationship up until the time that he died. And one of the last conversations I had with Vince, he was in a he ended up having some serious health problems and was in a nursing home. I went to visit him and shared with him, and Vince said, man, I can't wait to get out of this hospital, get out of this place so I can come up in 45th Street and praise the Lord with you. And I said, it's going to happen, bro. It's going to happen. And then a few weeks later, I found out that he had passed away. You would never know how important he was to me but he is as significant in my public profession and discussion of faith as Aunt Carolyn was in that. And I came to tell you, you got to think hard. You got to think long. 
Who are these people in your life who influence you? And this story that's in scripture right now, Jesus said we're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to make life taste better and light the way for other people. That's, that's what he said. We're supposed to bring seasoning to life. Who, who are they? Jesus in John chapter 4. It's with the disciples, Ridge. And the Bible says, you can turn into John chapter 4, the Bible says that Jesus and his disciples were on, on, on task. They were walking. And the Bible says that they had a reason to go through Samaria. The Bible said, Jesus said, I must need to go through Samaria. And I got to go through Samaria. Well, there's a problem because the Jews didn't go through Samaria. All right, they didn't. They left Samarians alone. They hated, Jews hated Samarians. All right, we're talking about, we're talking about blood and crypts. That's what we're talking here. You don't go through that territory. All right, we're talking about black and white neighborhoods during the middle of the civil rights movement. Certain neighborhoods didn't go through. <laughs> we used to say black folk didn't go through Montgomery, but <laughs> that was the truth of it. Montgomery was not a healthy place for black people back 30 years ago. You just leave, you just, if you didn't have to go through, you went around if you had to because they were rolling on brothers back then. And when I was in college, we were always cognizant, even in the 80s, always cognizant that, you know, we don't want to get stopped by no police in Montgomery because it wasn't friendly for us. That's how it was here. And the disciples said to Jesus, why do you need to go? We can go around Samaria. And Jesus said, no, I need to go. So they go to Samaria. Let me go ahead and give you some reading here so you can get, you said, uh, then, therefore, the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. And though Jesus himself baptized not, but it was his disciples. He left Judea and departed again into Judea. And he must needs go through Samaria. Needed to go is what it reads, all right? He needed to go through Samaria. Now, Reverend Smalls, why do you keep making that a point? Because there's somebody in Samaria he needs to see. And I want you to understand it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what the social norms are, what the barriers are. When Jesus needs to come to you, he'll tear all of that down and come to you. And so he goes, and it says, verse 5, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. It's important. That's important. Now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus therefore being weary with his journey sat thus on the well and it was about the sixth hour. The sixth hour. Alright. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith unto her um, give me a drink. Give me a drink. <laughs> now, that doesn't seem complicated, does it? Jesus is at a well. The woman comes to draw water. Jesus turns to the woman and says, give me a drink. Watch this now. I'm going to start reading a different version. The woman was surprised. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. I'm sorry, Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you, watch this, living water. Living water. Verse 11, she says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And the well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals have enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give will never be thirsty again. 
it becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. At which point she said, please, sir, give me this water. I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get this water. And then Jesus turned it on them. So let me see if I can summarize this for you before I go to this last part. Jesus is at the well. woman comes up at the sixth hour of the day, wrong time of the day. All right? Because then say a whole lot of people were at the well. She comes to the water, to the well at a time when nobody else does. That ought to tell you something right there. All right? Because going to the well to get water was a group activity. Women did it together, one for safety, but they did it together. For a woman to come to the well at an unusual time implied that she didn't want to be around other folk. And so here she comes, not only is she almost sneaking to the well, she gets there and she gets verbally accosted by a Jew sitting on the well. Not only that, he asks a favor of her. Really wasn't a favor at that time. If a man asked a woman for some water, typically she was going to respond to it. But she's shocked because she's saying, not only are you a Jew, you want me to get you some water, but you ain't got nothing to put water in. And that's where the story unfolds. Jesus engages this woman in conversation. This woman knows that this conversation should not be happening. I hope you're following me now, because there's some people in your life you ought to be talking to. They might not be your, your BFFs. In fact, they might be somebody you might not even have a good relationship, but you need to be talking to them about what's going on in life. You need to broker the conversation. And so he says, can you give me a drink? She says, I don't have anything. You don't have a bucket or anything, and this well is deep. So how am I going to get it from you? And then Jesus said to her, if you knew how I was, then you would ask me to give you a drink. All right, you see how subtle that was? He just turned the conversation real quick. He didn't start preaching to her. He just basically piqued her curiosity. You know, she's already on edge because he's a Jew. Not only is he a Jew, he's a, he's a preacher. She can tell probably by his vestments. But he's saying, I've got something that you can get to drink that'll give you eternal satisfaction. But why would this pique this woman's curiosity? Because of the thing that he says next. He said, he said, give me this water, she said. I want this living water you're talking about. And Jesus said, then go get your husband. Go get your husband. And because he's engaged her and because he's been straight up with her, she doesn't get offended. She responds in truth. She says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right. He ain't your husband and the mother five you had before him ain't your husband. Just ripped the band-aid off. Just tore it all off. And this woman says, sir, <laughs> uh, you must be a prophet. You, you, you must be a prophet. How would you respond under those circumstances? Somebody comes up to you and starts telling you your whole life. You already, this woman is a woman who is not respected in the community. No one wanted to be around her. She's the kind of woman that will be talked about in the community. Pointed at, derided. And yet Jesus, hear me, made it his point to come talk to the most detected, detested woman in the city. He knew where she'd be at 9 o'clock in the morning. Or he knew where she'd be at the hardest part of the day. And he came just to talk to her. Even though the disciples didn't want him to stay there, they gone off to the market, to the store or market or whatever to get whatever. But Jesus is there pretty much by himself. I always say this from an analytical standpoint. They wouldn't have, the disciples would not have left Jesus completely alone. And that's why I think John is the one writing this. Because John must have been the one witnessing what's going on between Jesus and this woman. And we're reading about it in the gospel according to St. John. 
So John is the reporter here watching Jesus interact with this woman who says she doesn't have anything to give him, and Jesus says, I can give you living water. She says, please give me living water. And then he starts telling about her whole life. And Jesus then says to her, tell me, why is it that the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? While we Samaritans, she said to him, claim it's here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship. She and Jesus start having a theological conversation. Because the door has been opened for her to get questions answered about what life is all about. Nobody's talking to her about what her life is wrong. Jesus is talking to her about possibilities in her life. Too many times when we go talk to folk about coming to church or being a part of our ministry, we dwell on what's wrong in their lives. Don't you know folk already know what's foul in their lives? They don't need to have it expounded on by you or anybody else. What they want to talk about is the hope of better tomorrow. And so I, got, I want to give you this. When you're talking to people, when you're asking them to be a part, when you're trying to influence them to come, just talk to them about life. And stop trying to fix every problem they have in a conversation. You're not going to stop somebody with a drug problem in a conversation. It's not going to happen. A drinking problem in a conversation. Somebody else has some, you're not going to change that in a conversation. I know ain't one sermon going to change somebody like that. It's simply not going to happen. All right? This woman's curiosity was piqued. Because of Jesus. Now we're talking about Jesus. His abilities are completely different than your and my abilities. And Jesus doesn't have any problem talking to somebody who by the world standards would have been seen as immoral. But not only was she there, she was a miracle waiting to happen. She had an opportunity to change her life, and she was thirsty. She was craving this attention. She just had been looking for attention in all the wrong places. And everybody, every other man she had met had let her down. She's looking for hope every time, and it gets dashed every time. And here's a man, all he's asking her for is a drink of water, and he's telling her, I'll give you this eternal water. And when Jesus tells her who he is and what he's about, the Bible says that she confessed that he was Lord. And her life in that moment was changed. Wow. How? Is it just because of that, ser- that, that conversation with Jesus? I'm going to use my sanctified mind and tell you that it wasn't. It's because this woman didn't just show up that day without any prior notion of something happening in her community. She had probably heard there was a stranger in town giving sight to the, to the blind. She probably heard that there was a man in town. And when he left folk, the people who couldn't hear could hear. And when he left folk, the people who couldn't talk could talk. He probably heard that there was a man in town who seemed to be able to take leprosy off folk. He probably heard that there was a man going around town doing miraculous things. And here I sit at Jacob's well, well, and here's this man right now telling me that he's got something special just for me. This woman probably said, this must be. The songwriter said, can't you see? This must be the one they've been talking about. You do your part, Lindbergh. You do your part, Ella. You do your part, Ferris. You do your part, Phaedra. By the time it gets down to Brittany, that person has heard enough about this man named Jesus, and they're ready to make a decision. Doesn't have to be all from you, A.O. It can be from all of us together if we understand that every part of what we do is influential in helping people make a decision. Every little step makes a difference. Every conversation makes a difference. Every hello, every good morning. 
every hug, every smile, every greeting that we give somebody influences them to want to be a part of a family like this. This woman has nothing to hang her hat on. And this woman come, and this man comes to her, Jesus, offering her a whole new life. And she jumps on it. Now watch this. She messed up, hurting, broken, hiding. You don't have to have your life together in order to be an influencer. You're not going to see this coming. But this is the better part of the story. It's good that she met Jesus. That's wonderful. And Jesus has those extraordinary abilities that you and I don't have. And so he was able to convert her right then and there. But this woman who could walk down the street, Mason, and nobody would see her, let alone speak to her. This woman who was persona non grata. Nobody even thought she was worth anything. The Bible said that this same old woman, the woman who used to stand outside the church house in her fishnet holes and wearing stuff that was inappropriate, this woman gets up from a conversation with Jesus. This woman runs back to the town and tells everybody who hadn't talked to her before, I just met a man at the well and this man told me everything about my life. Suddenly she got everything in perspective. Not just any man, but this man at the well. Remember now, it's not unusual for her to be talking about I just met a man. Child, you meet plenty of men. That's what they say. What's unusual about you meeting a man? She said, but he told me everything about my life. This woman who had lacked any social capital has suddenly got a platform and is an influencer herself. With her tow up life, with her raggedy life, she started talking about something that's important. And the folk turn around her, David, and they say to her, they begged her, tell us where he is that we might talk to him as well. And when they went and saw Jesus at the well, Jesus must needs go through Samaria. They said to Jesus, please stay with us. They begged him to come stay with them. This is the same Jesus who had to go through Samaria. Remember the disciples, the church folk were saying, don't go through Samaria. You don't need to go through Samaria. And Jesus said, I got to go talk to the folk in Samaria. And I'm going to use the worst woman in town to turn the whole town into believers in Christ Jesus. Y'all don't hear what I'm saying here. You better stop depending on preachers to tell the whole story. You better stop depending on deacons to be the one to tell everybody else about Jesus. Everybody got to tell the story. And Jesus comes and he tells them. And the Bible says he stayed there for two or three days. And the whole town was converted because of a harlot at the well. Because of a woman who had lived her life horribly, who was converted at the well by Jesus, she turns around and becomes an evangelist. <laughs> you don't have to be perfect to be preaching, baby. You can preach once your heart gets turned around. It doesn't matter what you did before, because everybody's got a before I started talking about Jesus. You better stop thinking you were dipped in buttermilk and then you came to Jesus. Everybody had some hell and some wrong in them before they started talking about Jesus Christ. But once she started, she couldn't shut up. So who does God use? Who, who does he use? Huh? Not an Instagram star. All right? No, 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 no. He uses you. He uses you. What's your platform? Who can you influence? You ought to start at home with everybody in the house. Make sure you talk to them. Get on their nerves. Get, get on their nerves. Be a Scott Hurst. Be a Scott Hurst. 
Scott Hurst was our Sunday school superintendent at First Baptist. Scott Hurst used to wear me out. I ain't lying. Scott Hurst would show up at my house on a Saturday morning. Early Saturday morning. I can't tell you, I've been drinking the night before. I get up. Oh, hey, Brother Spalls, how you doing? Scott, what you doing here? <laughs> that, I ain't even say, hey. Scott, what you doing here? Oh, I just come to see if you and the baby's gonna be able to come to Sunday school. Man, what? Sunday, I mean, this, I said, this Saturday. <laughs> this Saturday. Scott was out beating the bushes for the members of the church, making sure they understood that they had a place in the Sunday school. And I, I wish I could tell you I was better than that, but I wasn't. I wasn't in that place. I didn't have the patience. And Scott kept coming. Finally picked up the phone and called my mama and I said, Mama, why in the world does Scott Hurst keep coming over this house asking us about sending the kids to Sunday school? She said, baby, I don't know. Why. I don't know why he's doing that. That's his job. He's the Sunday school superintendent. He coming around helping out. I come to find out my mama was sending him over there. Mama was telling him to go. Come to my house. Guess what? It worked. Got on my nerves till I got him off my nerves. And I listened to it. And look at what happened. Scott Hurst was an influencer. You never would have heard of Scott Hurst. But oh, what a powerful man in Christ he was. He could take a hit and keep on coming. He didn't listen to me and my foolishness. He realized my whole family's future in glory was, was on the balance. And he didn't keep coming. I didn't have enough sense with all my degrees to get up on my own and make sure we got the lessons and the study and the fellowship we needed. And so he thought it was worth it to take my little anger, whatever it was, and to keep on coming. That's what Scott did. May you have a Scott Hurst in your life. May you have somebody in your life who won't take no for an answer. May you have someone in your life who takes their job in the body of Christ so seriously that they won't listen to you, they listen to God. And they keep doing what they're supposed to do because God drives them to do it. And can I tell you, it doesn't matter where your lot starts. You can start in a family that seems to have it all together, or you can start from somewhere where it's all torn up. That's Jesus's, that's the point in this John chapter 4 story, that Jesus will pick you up if he has to reach way down. He'll pick you up, and he'll set you up so that you can go out and tell the story. So 45th Street family started listening to people who were hurting. Start talking to folk who are hurting, especially those folk. Invite somebody to church. Text somebody a Bible verse. Make them say, did you send this by accident? And you say, no, it was on purpose. Did you read? Make them block you. Let them get a new number. Make them block that number too. Keep on coming at them like that, all right? Make them call you and say, what is wrong with you? And you let them know, ain't nothing wrong with me. I'm just trying to love you. And if a text message get on your nerves that much, maybe you need to read the text message. Maybe you need to read the Bible verse. Don't stop. Don't slow down. Don't let anybody push you back. Can I tell you, heaven and hell is in the balance. If you can convince somebody to learn about Jesus by sending them a Bible verse, to at least consider what's in the language, then I say it's worth it. Post something on your TikTok other than kittens. Post something on your TikTok other than something about somebody making a fool out of themselves. Post some positive information on there. Something that's gonna encourage someone. You never know at what time of the day that TikTok might hit them and they might need it. 
Be positive. When you give somebody what they need, you have no idea how much a conversation, a hug, a smile can make a difference in their lives. Jesus literally took his life in his hand when he went to Samaria. They could have killed him. That's how dangerous it was going there. Instead, he came out of Samaria saving lives for eternity. What have you done? You are an influencer. I don't know if you got a Vince Pettis or Scott Hurst or Carolyn Jones Holman in your life. I bet you do. I, I bet you haven't considered it enough. And so I'm asking you today, think about it. Think about those people and then ask yourself, which one will I become to somebody else? Who will I help? I'll see Vince again in glory. I have no doubt about that. Vince was a senior class president from my high school class. I was the SGA president. We spent a lot of time together. I loved him like a brother. Who do you love? Jesus loves you. I came to tell you that. I didn't have to become a preacher to tell you that. You don't have to become a preacher to tell somebody that. If you know him and he loves you, share the good news. I can tell you that he lives for us. I can tell you that he died for us. And I can tell you that God loved him enough to resurrect him from the dead. My question to you is, have you accepted his gift of salvation? If you haven't, then today is the day for you to accept it. And do you have a church family? that you feel comfortable enough in growing and discipling other folk, I strongly suggest you try 45th Street. We're a good place for you to be. We want you to be here. We want you to grow with us and share with us. The deacons of our church, the elders of our church have just come. And while they come, I want to sing a song of encouragement for you doors of our church are wide open. Whosoever will, let them come. Right now, today.